0: How you guys doing? How many people are excited that school's back in? What do you? What do the kids think? No, not so great. Hey, uh, so you know, my oldest started high school this week over at Lincoln, and so uh, we're walking him through. Um, did I say oldest? Sorry, youngest. Uh, we're so we're walking him through that shift of from summertime schedule to the brutally cruel high school hours. I mean. Why they do that to kids in that age range, man? Seven thirty start, woo! But anyway, um, so it's good at our house, and it is Vision Sunday. We do this a couple times a year, where we just like to pause and remind ourselves of where it is we're going, where it is we're trying to take this thing, where it where it is we're trying to take you. Uh, so if you're a part of the E3 community, you know you've been through these, you you've sat through them, you should know by now the ethos and the heartbeat of this community, uh, but it's still always good to just pause and remind ourselves of where we're going. If you're like me, you know, you've gone on a journey maybe, and uh, you know how easy it is to like just get a little bit off base, but the further you go, if you get a little bit off base, you just keep drifting and drifting and drifting. And so we try not to let more than like six months go, go by before we stand up together and say, hey, just, just so we all are clear, this is where we're going. This is the thing it is that we're trying to do. And uh, so what we're going to do is, is just lean into that this morning. And I'm just going to tell some stories of, of why it matters. And I want to start off by, by drawing a little bit of a line between this thing called mission and this thing called vision. Because sometimes we just need to start with what it is even that we're categories that we're working in. A mission is is the thing that once was described to me that like an organization has a mission. If somebody cuts somebody, they bleed the mission. Everybody has to know what the mission of an organization is. It's, it's the, the, the rails that you ride on. It's the thing that just provides purpose and and clarity for everything you do at E3. Our mission is to turn people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we feel like the church has been called to do, and this church has been called to do. But that's not the vision. A vision is different than, than a mission. And the the way I would say it to describe it to you, if you've never heard those distinctions, is that when I was uh, 15, I started playing guitar, and I got real serious about guitar real fast. I loved it. Spent two, three, four hours a day during the summer just playing and playing and playing. My mission was to become a great guitar player. My mission was to master the instrument. But that was not my vision. You see, a vision is what happens if you work the mission well enough, long enough. A vision is something that is a dream. It is something that is out there in the future and it's designed to make your blood your heart beat a little faster. It's different from the mission. It's a picture in the future. It is your hope and your dream. If you do the mission long enough, this is the thing that will result. It, asks, it answers the question, where do you want to go? And it's not tied to the details. It's not strategy-based. It's not bogged down in those things. So going back to 15-year-old Eric, my mission was to master the guitar. My vision probably involved things like limousines and five-star hotels and you know playing to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. That's the thing that that motivated me. That was the vision I had for my life and it made me get up in the morning and sit there and quite frankly while other uh, you know, we actually had video games in my A era. They were just called Atari and, t- and television. Anybody in television? Anybody? Okay, a couple of us. So while other folks did that, you know, I hacked away on E chords and A chords and D chords because I had a dream, right, that that's what I wanted to, to accomplish. E3 is no different. We have a mission statement. I gave that to you. We also have always had a vision statement. The thing that, that is the dream that propels us forward. And if you've been around E3 long enough, you've heard it or probably seen it. Uh, it's, it's where faith, authenticity, and emerging culture meet. Anybody ever hear that? Or read it? All right. That is the vision of E3. And you may not have known that, but that is the vision. Now, I want to be honest with you. I've been a part of this community now for about 11 years. When I came here, I didn't really get what that vision meant. Uh, it, it was a great slogan, and it rolled off the tongue quite well. Welcome to E3, where faith, authenticity, and emerging culture meet. Like if you were a part of E3 for a while, that was the first thing that the welcome person always said to you. Welcome to E3, where faith, authenticity, and emerging culture meet. But I didn't understand, I didn't understand what was, what was the dream that that slogan, those words described. And so uh, just a little backstory. like, so the summer, as I knew we were getting ready to have another one of these vision Sundays, so I sat down and I, and I asked God, I asked myself, I asked the staff a little bit, hey, look, is that still the vision of E3? Is there another dream out there that, or words that describe the dream better? And I wrestled with it, and, and real quickly, I just, I came back to the conclusion that No. There's not a better dream out there. But what God also did, just through some reflection and some study, is that I drilled down deeper into why that is the dream. What does it mean? What are the, what's the thought and the dream behind the words faith, authenticity, and emerging culture meet? And when I did that, I added some words to the vision statement. And so this is the vision statement that I'm working with right now. It is that E3 will be an irresistible community of radically transformed disciples, human beings, meeting and dwelling in the place where deep faith, authentic community, and emerging culture meet. That's the dream. A place of deep faith, authentic community, and emerging culture. And then what happened, I just want to leave that up for just a few minutes, because uh, what happened uh, in my summertime of reflection is I was reading the book of Acts. And I don't know if you've ever read the book of Acts. It's the, the fifth book of the New Testament. We have these four stories about Jesus, gospel stories. And then the, the fifth book of the Bible is, is the Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. It tells the story of the, of the first believers in Jesus. And the the context is this. Jesus Christ has has lived on this earth for around 33 years. He had a three-year ministry at the end of his life. At the end of those three years, he was arrested, crucified by the Roman government. He he, He rose from the dead three days later. And then he started like going back to his disciples, and everything about their lives began to change. And they began to experience this radical, energizing faith uh, through something called the Holy Spirit. But Acts tells the story of what was going on in these people's lives, what it looks like to be a believer in the first days after Jesus's ministry. So uh, as I was studying this summer, these verses out of Acts chapter two just jumped out at me, particularly in regards to this vision statement, this vision thing. Uh, starting in verse 42, it says, they, these are the church, the first believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The apostles were Jesus' first followers. And all the believers, they were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There's actually one more verse after that passage that said uh, they praised God and they enjoyed the favor of all the people around them. The culture around them actually looked at this group of people and they said, man, look at that. That's so cool. These folks that were praying and worshiping together almost every day and meeting together in homes, sharing, well, in vision language, authentic community. And out of that, actually sharing radically with the culture around them. It says everyone who had need. Man, let me just sell something. There's a need. I got got a possession I can get rid of and provide for somebody. And when I read that, a couple things, just light bulbs just going off. I was like, man, that's a dream right there. That's a vision to get up in the morning to shoot for. Where people are so engaged with God and they're so engaged with each other. And they are sharing each other and meeting together and breaking bread. And then for the culture around them to kind of sit up and go, whoa, that's something special. So, faith, authenticity, and emerging culture, right there in Acts chapter 2. Faith, people worshiping and praying to God. Authentic community, meeting together, breaking bread together, sharing things radically. And get this, they're doing it in their community, in their culture. You see, like Jesus could have maybe given a bunch of different options for his people, When he rose from the dead, he could have sort of sent the Holy Spirit and then said, hey, all right, you guys, you got the Holy Spirit. Here comes the church. Now go out into the desert and build a commune. He didn't. He said, stay put. Stay put in Jerusalem, the culture you know, the community you know, and live out this life. That's the dream. That's the dream that we're going for. And and just so you know, the way I look at it is that E3 has both a central community at 1184 Capital Circle Northeast. So we work out this faith in this geographical space. But guess what? Every single person in this place or that calls E3 home, you have a community as well. You have a culture that you can impact. And so not only do we want to live out this deep faith and authentic community in this particular location, we and I would love to challenge you to actually live it out in your space as well, your neighborhood, your home, your office, your school. And I believe that if we go into our our homes and our neighborhoods, my home in Killarn, and I can say, man, I am living this life of faith and I want to share radically that I believe that that my neighbors would sit up and go, whoa, that's pretty cool. What's going on there? That's the dream that gets me up in the morning. A place where E3 and folks uh, that call E3 home are connecting vitally with God authentically with each other and doing it in the context of the culture around them. It doesn't get any better than that for me. That makes my heart beat faster. And so what I wanna do in the time uh, that we have is I wanna tell you a little bit more about why that makes my heart beat faster. And I'm just gonna tell you some stories of my own personal life. And I wanna start off by making a little confession. And the confession is simply this. I have, and I accumulate massive library (laughs) fines. Massive library fines. Somewhat, an amount somewhat less than a new pair of jeans, but somewhat more than like a lunch at Chipotle. And I do it over and over and over again. And I'll tell you, it gets worse. I have used my children's library cards (laughs) when I had too many fines and run up fines on their cards as well. Now, I pay these fines off uh, most of the time. But I'm a repeat offender there. I probably paid for that crazy new tree that's in front of the downtown library. That's, they should name that after me, probably. But it's, it, it, here's the deal. Like, I go to the library, and there's just so many books. And they're all free, kind of. So the way, this would, the way this would play itself out is, you know, we, we moved down here and, and uh, we were trying to f- figure out, we all got library cards, we, we didn't have a lot of money, so, you know, entertainment fund is, is quite low. You have little kids, you take them to the library, get them some books, right? And so I would always go along, just go get some books, guys. And uh, I would say, hey, well, you know what, like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious and I like to learn, so I'd be like, well, what do I want to learn about, you know? And I'd pick maybe two or three books or, in my head or a subject, and I'd get uh, the card catalog and I'd go to start looking for the books that, that were in the catalog. But here's the deal. I would just start walking down the shelves and I'd be like, but look at that book. But look at that one. That would, and I'm like, well, it doesn't cost anything to get more. And so I would inevitably come up to the circulation desk. You can ask my wife, she will verify this with usually a stack about yay big of just books that I would just look at the title or, the, or even the, the, the cover. Oh, I was, I'm the worst. So one of the books I got one time As a history book. I love history. And uh, I loved the title. The title just jumped out at me. It was called The Hinges of History. But the subtitle was even better. How Chance and Stupidity Have Changed History. (laughs) And I read it, and I actually ended up buying it because it's just so good. I always go back to it. And it's it's just the story of uh, these major turns in world history that happened because of a random event or a random person. And it contrasted, like we have these world leaders and we have generals and we have politicians and we have leaders that we may all know their names, like a a Julius Caesar or a Napoleon or a Nikita Khrushchev, on and on and on. But what this guy did is he actually examined that some of the events that those names are associated with, the turn of history actually relied on some Yahoo that you've never even heard of and some random event that happened, that changed the world forever. And so I read it, I I reread it, and and it's got great stories in it. And it it gave me insight, and it confirmed something in my head, and that is simply this, like, look, our lives are like this. Our lives are like this. You know, we tend to think of the big, uh, big, CNN headline events of the world and we think that's what changes history. That's what changes maybe even the course of my life. But actually if you looked at your life, if you looked at my life I bet we could come up with these sort of seemingly random events where all of a sudden my life was going this way but then something happened in just a matter of maybe 30 seconds and it went that way. Some of those events are really good. Some of them really hard. I know. Right? So I want to walk you through some of the hinges of my life. Some of the times that Chance, not so much stupidity, but chance and a few moments changed my life forever. And it happened because somebody else had a dream about a church. So um, I grew up, uh, I was a part of the church. My parents were part of a church until I was about 18, 19 years old. I grew up, I grew up in the faith. And then at that point, I left the church of Jesus for the church of rock and roll. It was a much more exciting church. Um, I, I, my experience of, of the church, although it was valuable, I have some warm, fuzzy feelings. It's, it's what I call a beige experience. You know, the color beige is a valuable color. But let's face it, it's not so exciting, is it? Like it's a neutral I've been trying to learn how to dress better. And my wife felt like, Eric, you only dress in neutral tones. And I'm like, this is about as much as I can get as an accent color, as a red bandana. Beige is just, it's a warm place to be, but it's not very exciting, is it? And my experience in the church was really one of beige, you know. You went and, and it was cool and everything, but nothing really jumped out at me. And man, from 19 to 23, 24, I wanted something more passionate. I wanted something deeper. So uh, to kind of give you some context, my, my wife and I, we got married in Texas, and then just a year or two later, we moved to Chicago. We didn't r- really know anybody in Chicago. It was a, a random adventure that we, we went on. And um, I'll also tell you that, you know, like I said, I left the church. I left the faith. I wanted a different experience, something that was passionate. But I, was, I, got, I got junked up pretty fast. You know, I was just out there exploring all that life had to offer, and a lot of what life had to offer is not very constructive for a person in their 20s. So I experienced a lot of hard things, not very helpful things. And not only that, I had a, a, a young marriage, right? And, you know, we always talk about the, the honeymoon period, you know, and I don't, I don't think I'm surprising my wife, I think she would tell you the same thing, um, that like we didn't really have a whole lot of a honeymoon period, like we hit, we hit a rocky phase real fast. And so we were trying to navigate what it meant to be married together away from family and and apart from everybody we knew. And at the same time, like I had sort of tried to take some steps towards faith, but I, I didn't have any context for what life with God could look like. All my experience was a beige experience. And then we looked for a church up in Chicago, and one night we walked into a room. It was a basketball court. Uh, it It was a church and a ministry that set up in a big basketball court and they rolled a stage out and I walked into a room full of people that all looked mostly my age. And there was a band on stage. I never grew up with a band in church. So there was a band on stage and they were playing and I looked around and what I had always experienced as beige in terms of the church all of a sudden exploded into Technicolor because I saw not only the people on stage singing with passion, but I saw the people out there singing with passion. And I remember the exact song they were singing. It wasn't even like a a Jesus song. You know, I grew up with hymns, you know, and the hymns were cool. I liked to sing so I could harmonize. But let's face it, uh, hymns aren't real exciting. It's hard to kind of like really like rock out a hymn unless you really rock out a hymn. So we stood there and we sang. These folks were singing a song from the culture. Just the the culture out there, there was a, a group in the 90s called the Lemonheads. And they wrote a song, and I walked in, and this is the lyrics they were singing. They were saying, I know a place where I can go when I'm alone, into your arms, into your arms I can go. I know a place that's safe and warm from the crowd, into your arms I can go, and if I should fall, I know I won't be alone anymore. And I get it, they weren't writing, the Lemonheads were not writing this about God or Jesus or anything, but this community had said that that names something that we need in our culture. And I looked around and I knew what those folks were singing about. They were singing about a deep connection with God into the arms of the Father and they were also saying, we need each other. I won't be alone anymore. And that hinge moment changed my life because all of a sudden I knew faith did not have to be beige. And what's more, My life changed because, for really the first time in my life, I saw people that looked like me and they were singing from the depths of their heart. They were singing what they meant and they were meaning what they sang. And when I walked into that space, my life changed directions. Now, it wasn't like, oh, Eric never stumbled or had any more problems after that. No, that's not what it's like. Ask my family you know life is a journey you have to work this stuff out over time but make no mistake my direction changed and all of a sudden i knew that i wanted something more second hinge moment second hinge moment happened just a few years ago i uh, i went on a global outreach trip down to guatemala it was my second trip i had been down there before i went down with my daughter this time to show her you know what what life is like around the world and uh, there was a gentleman that accompanied the trip. I didn't really know him. Um, had no idea who he was, actually. But something, uh, something just kind of prompted me or kind of just an, uh, an intuition that said, you know what, I need, to, I need to hang out with this person. I need to have a conversation with him. And uh, we connected, and, and I said, can I, can I contact you when we get back to Tallahassee? He said, sure. And we sat down. That was a hinge moment because here's the deal that you have to, here's what I want you to know. I don't know what you've thought or what you think about me or any of the pastoral staff, but can I just tell you, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect, right? In fact, uh, I, shared this, uh, I shared this this morning. I read this once. Uh, if you think that we're perfect, what I would like you to do is I would like you to, in, to come up with the plan of how you'll respond when I disappoint you. Because I will. I don't want to, but I'm human. So I'm gonna let you down and Lori's gonna let you down. And when we do, can you please, A, like I'm not saying I told you so, but can you please not be shocked that we're not perfect? But here's the deal also. The reason this was so important is is, is that there were things that had taken root in my life over my, over my life that I just had never shared with people and that had just gotten a hold of me. And I don't know if anybody's ever liked that, where you just have that thing that you can't get over, that brokenness in your life, that you can't shake that shadow that's in your closet that just stays there. And sometimes if, if, if you've lived any life, you know that shadows actually don't stay politely in the closet. Shadows tend to kind of bust out of the closet at the most inopportune times. And the thing about it is I had never told anybody about this stuff. And shadows only, shadows only gain power in the darkness because that's where shadows live. And so this, this random encounter on this global outreach trip had led to some meetings with this person. And eventually we got to the point where I trusted him enough and he trusted me and he said, okay, paraphrasing, he so says, it's time for you to tell me the last 10% of your life. It's, it's time for you to tell me the things that you've never told anybody else. It's time for you to crack open that closet, show me what the shadows are. It was terrifying. But I did it. And, and from that hinge moment of just seeing somebody that I didn't even know and wasn't even supposed to be on this global outreach trip with E3 from that moment uh, was, was a moment where I opened the door of my heart to somebody and I shared the last 10% with another human being. See, up until that point, I had, had this God thing down. A new God loved me. But deep faith is only part of the dream. Authentic community is the other part of the dream, right? And some of us, we have masks, we keep our doors, our closet doors shut so tightly and the stuff just stays in there it doesn't go away and so for the first time I cracked open that door and I said here it is and I heard from another human being well I love you that's okay it's not pretty, it's not something to be proud of but God loves you and you can get beyond this thing. What a gift, right? That's why it's not just about the deep faith. That's why it's also about authentic community because we need each other. There are things that we need to hear from other human beings. There's a story in the Gospel of John, this crazy, crazy healing story where Jesus raises a man back to life who's dead. His name's Lazarus. Anybody ever hear this story? So Lazarus is a dear, dear friend of Jesus. His family's a dear, dear friend of Jesus. Lazarus has two sisters named Mary and Martha. They're important friends of Jesus. And Jesus comes to their house. He comes to their community. Lazarus has died. Jesus stands outside the grave. Lazarus' friends are there. His family's there. And Jesus stands at the edge of the tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And like, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if Lazarus comes out like a zombie or what. Like, nobody knows. But he comes out. And uh, it's so interesting because Jesus is the one who raises him from the dead. But you know what Jesus says to the people who are standing beside him? Jesus says, all you people, take the grave clothes off of him. Jesus raises us all to life, but you know what? We need community to take off the grave clothes that we wear. We like to think that like Jesus just do, and and couldn't Jesus just like kind of give up, like the grave clothes would come off? I think he could. I think after raising somebody to life, life, like getting rid of the, the grave clothes is probably a pretty easy trick. But Jesus says, no, you need other people. I'll bring you to life. Everybody else, take the grave clothes off of him. So if you're here this morning, you've never shared with another human being, guess what? Maybe in a way, in a metaphorical way, you're wearing the grave clothes, even after Jesus has brought you to life. And the opportunity to share with another person is basically to say, I'm still wearing some of these grave clothes. Can you help me take them off? That's what community's for. The vision, faith, Authenticity, authentic community. And then the idea of our emerging culture. You see, the reason I tell you this is that, look, the reason those hinges happened to me is because somebody else had a dream about a church before I did. You see, somebody else had a dream and a vision about creating a space where people would sing songs like by the lemon heads, and a place where people would vitally pour out their lives to God. And somebody like me happened to walk in and go, wow, these people really mean what they say. And they sing what they mean in their hearts. And there are still people out there, I believe, that are looking for that. I think people wander into spaces like this all over the country, all over the world, And they're saying, show me something beyond beige worship. Show me that life can be in technicolor. Show me that you're a God of passion and love. And so, E3 is going to be a place, ideally, with God's help, with God's blessing, that will create a hinge moment for somebody else out there. That's what the dream is about. That's what the dream is about. The the, the dream will also be about creating hinge moments for people to share with other human beings. Putting folks in growth groups and small groups where other people can say, I, I, need, I need to some time alone with somebody because I have some stuff I have to unburden my heart and my soul with. You see, I got to have that hinge moment where I unburdened my soul because somebody else had a dream about creating a space where, like, look, global outreach trips happen. We're just going to send people down to do stuff, and then that interaction changed my life forever. So who's out there still that needs a hinge moment? Who is still out there in the world that just needs to run into another human being where they can see their life just tail off in a, in a different direction? There's a movie out um, Called 42, it's a Jackie Robinson story. Anybody ever, ever see that movie? It's a good movie, good movie. It just tells the story of how Jackie Robinson, the first African-American baseball player in the major leagues, and what he goes through, and the racism and the abuse that, he has, that has heaped on him. And uh, there's this one scene in a very intense moment in the movie where Robinson has just endured unthinkable insults, an unthinkable, unthinkable hatred. And he runs into the tunnel, and he's just, he's had enough. He's, he's just gone past his point where he can endure it. And the owner of the Dodgers, the guy that signed him, the guy that said, look, I want to, I want to be a part of breaking, breaking the, the racism of Major League Baseball. He, he runs up, and, and, and I don't know how historical the moment is, I must confess. But in the movie, he comes up to Jackie, and, and, and Jackie wants nothing to say to him. And he says, and he said, uh, you know, I need you to, the owner says, I need you to get back out there, Jack. You can do this. And he said, no. And then in this one moment, um, the owner says, but Jackie, he says, you're the medicine. You're the medicine that this needs because there's a sickness in Major League Baseball. There's a sickness out there, and you're the cure. And guess what, folks? There's a sickness out there, and we're the cure. We're the cure. We are the folks that can create a space where where somebody can have a hinge moment in worship, and they can say, oh, my gosh, there are people out there who actually give Some kind of flip about a God. And we can be the cure by creating safe spaces in community to say, we need each other. You need to tell somebody what's in your shadows. And when they tell it, to say, God loves you. He loved you before you told, He loves you now. We're the medicine. We're the medicine. And nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else. Because here's what I believe. I believe that uh, as much as, as good can happen through economic help, as much good can happen through science, as much good can happen through medicine, there are certain things that none of those institutions can touch. And that is the state of the human heart. There is a book I read a few years ago called Not in God's Name. It was written by a rabbi named uh, Jonathan Sachs. He put it this way in the opening pages of his book. He said, science, it's a long quote, just bear with me. Science, technology, the free market, and the liberal democratic state. These are among the greatest achievements of human civilization. They have to be defended and cherished But they do not and cannot answer the three questions every individual will ask Who am I? Why am I here? And how should I live? And in the 21st century, he says, what results is that we have a maximum of choice and a minimum of meaning. So let me paraphrase it I believe in science. I believe and I use technology and I believe in the state and the good that the politics can do and I believe in the free market but none of those things give ultimate meaning to a human being. They're not supposed to. God does that and God is present not just in the church. He's out there too but he resides in us and we are the medicine. We are the mechanism by which we can provide hinge moments for folks. So what this looks like, let's just get real practical or or a little bit practical for uh, the next couple minutes. You know, on Sundays, the reason we do Sundays the way we do is so that somebody can have a moment that they just experience God. We want things on Sunday to be clear, engaging, and beautiful because that's what we believe People can experience God and, and they can hear the heart of God. They can hear the heart of the Father. So that's what we're going to lean into more and more over the next year. We also are trying to provide communities for folks to experience life together. We're going to launching more growth groups because we're growing. And so it's our intention to open up uh, somewhere around. Three to five new growth groups in the next few weeks because we believe that people still need to have those encounters like I had and some of you had. We're training our growth group leaders better. And we're providing these things called advances around here. Uh, Some of you guys might know them as retreats. Time where you just go away. We have a women's advance and a men's advance, both happening this fall, where you can just get away from culture and hear God and experience him in a special, unique way. And then lastly, uh, in service, because we believe that we're called to make an impact in our culture. You know, we have a food pantry here that runs every other week that is feeding people in our neighborhood. They're coming every other week and they're lining up for food. That's crazy. It's not crazy that there's a need. It's crazy that we can do that for people. We're building wheelchair ramps for folks in Tallahassee, like regularly, growth groups just signing up saying, all right, when can we go, how can we ha- impact another folks, uh, some folks in need? And then we're doing these global outreach trips, still, Guatemala, uh, Uganda, Haiti. We're sending people out to impact the world, to provide hinge moments for somebody else. This all boils down to one simple fact that I want to leave you with, and it's another story. And if you doubt like, if you doubt, like, the heart of God, I'm, I just want you to listen to this story uh, as uh, I'm a father, obviously. So my, my daughter, we sent her to, to school in, uh, in Chicago when she was two, um, and she, she had to be bused. We sent her to a neighborhood school at first, and then she got into a program because she's smart. And, and she rode a, bu- she rode a bus, uh, not in two, I'm sorry, second grade. She's smart, but she's not that smart. (laughs) So the first day of school, the first day of school, she rides, she gets on the bus, she she takes the bus to school. Now, uh, we had always believed in sharing our home and opening our home up to people who who needed space. And so in Chicago, we had a young lady who needed a place to live, and she said, hey, look, uh, if I can, you know, if I can, like, just have this bedroom, then I'll watch your kids. She was a pretty experienced nanny. And so we said, great, man, like, you help us, we help you. We had Levi at the time. So I came home uh, from work uh, in the afternoon. I had a part-time job. I came home early. I arrived about 10 to 15 minutes after the bus was supposed to drop Emily off. I walked into the house, and the nanny was asleep, and so was Levi. And I woke her up, and I said, where's Emily? And she said, I don't know. So... Shanna my wife cut home shortly after that and kind of said, okay, um, bus is always supposed to be bus is always supposed to have been here and I can't find my child. she's missing. So I called the school. I said, "Hey school, um, you wouldn't let a second grader off at a bus stop with no adult to pick, pick them up, would you?" I said, no, Mr. Case. No, 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 no. We would never do that." And I talked to him and then, but then she said the words I'll never forget. she said, Well, maybe. My father's heart just dropped. And I started looking for my child. I'm looking down the sidewalks. We're walking. We're calling out for our child. We're calling her name. We just want her to be back because we know That if we can be with her, she can be safe, and she can be with us. And we just searched. Now, I got a phone call back from the school after about probably five to seven minutes of the worst seven minutes of my life. And they said, Mr. Case, the bus had broke down. It hasn't been to the stop yet. So we waited a little while longer, and uh, in a little while, here comes my second grader. Uh, How do you think that embrace went? How do you think that embrace went? Folks, our father has children out there that he's looking for. There are people out there that are God's children that matter to him, and they are, they, they have a more awareness than my daughter did. She didn't know. They're scared, and they're hurting. And all the father wants is to embrace them and bring them home. And the dream of a place where faith authenticity, authentic community and a place that impacts and and interacts with its culture. It matters because people matter to God. The heart of the father beats for his children and won't stop beating. And we are going to exist to provide hinge moments for people. That's why we're going to do what we do.